Hello and welcome to this special edition of Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann. This week we return to the Holy Land for a featured conversation with Archbishop Elias Shakur. Abuna Shakur is the Archbishop of Akko, Haifa, Nazareth, and Galilee of the Melkite Greek Catholic Church. Now some of you may recognize his name as he is the author of the best-selling book, Blood Brothers, which tells the story of his childhood as a Palestinian growing up in the town of Biram in Galilee before 1948 and after the evacuation of his village. Archbishop Elias Shakur relates in his autobiography how the Israeli defense forces rounded up the men and older boys in the village, including his father and three brothers, and transported them to the border with Jordan. There, they were led out and ordered to go to Jordan. However, Shakur's family returned to the village three months later. It's a wonderful story of hope. I encourage everyone to go get it. Recently, I was in the Holy Land with a group of Catholic journalists traveling under the auspices of the Catholic Near East Welfare Agency, and we had the chance to speak with Archbishop Shakur for almost an hour and a half. Today, we share with you most of that conversation. Here is Archbishop Elias Shakur. You know, you are here in the Greek Catholic Archbishopric. Our name is Greek Catholic, but none among us is Greek. I don't know how many really are Catholics. That's something else, yeah. But we happen to be the largest Catholic church in the country and the largest church body in Israel altogether, yeah. And uh, I don't know why they were condemned to have me as their archbishop. I tried to do my best, but it's very difficult. But we are determined to go ahead, to overcome the problems, no matter how big and absurd they are, we are determined to overcome them and to speak out our mind all over the world when that is possible. And here you are to listen and to share your opinions about us here. It is so important now, just before the Holy Synod in Rome will start. And I think one of the best benefits of that Synod might be that our voice had the chance to go beyond the borders of Galilee or the Middle East, but to reach the large Catholic Church. So far we are the ignored church minority in the world although although we yes we do love rome but not that much because although rome is important for us nothing started in rome everything started here in galilee christ was not born in rome or in napoli but in bethlehem and he lived in nazareth And the first disciples were not Romans or, I don't know, Americans. They were men from Galilee. If you remember, in the Acts of the Apostles, 120 men from Galilee were gathered in one of the upper rooms in Jerusalem uh, surrounding Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's then that he fulfilled his promises and he sent them something. You know what? What did he send them? Are you sure? I am not. I think he never started sending the Holy Spirit. Reread your scriptures. 
No, he started sending them his wind. Ruach, rih, ruhu. Not any wind, but a strong wind, a storm. He stormed their minds so strongly that they started understanding something new. There is a newness of the New Testament and a uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And that is very simply, when they started preaching all around, there is no privilege for Jew against Gentile, for man against woman, for Lord against slave. Why? Because you are all called to become adopted children of God, even you American Canadians as well. <coughs> this is after that, when they were just saturated with his wind, he sent down his spirit. Reread your Acts of Apostles. We like to jump to the conclusions, and the conclusion is the Holy Spirit. Likewise, we like to jump to the conclusion that the resurrection, we want to ignore the Good Friday. But before the last, there's no way for the first. Well, I'm very pleased to welcome you. We'll come to all that maybe in our discussion. We're listening to a special Salt and Light Radio with Melkite Archbishop Elias Shakur. This was before the Synod of Bishops on the Middle East. We asked Archbishop Shakur what he would be speaking to his brother bishops during the Synod outside of the meetings. Well, I wonder if I will be ever lobbying the other bishops as well shouting or whispering a whisper of love and of despair to His Holiness, the, the Holy Father not only to uh, become aware of the presence of Christians, but to act in order to make them feel important in the church, to bring the awareness of the Catholic Church to the fact that Israel is not Jewish. There are Jews here. But Israel is also Palestinians. And Palestinians are not only Muslims, they are all also Christians. And when we call it the Holy Land in a Catholic way, we should never forget the respect we pay to the Holy Sepulchre or to the Nativity or to the Annunciation. But we have to be aware that the least among the Christians here is much more important than all the Holy Shrines together. And that's what was ignored. I don't underestimate the importance of the Holy Sites. And here I must say about the Franciscans, well, they were the most loyal body who really did not sell or do, did away with the Holy Sites. They are the real custodians of holy places. That's great. I pay tribute to them but much more important to the, than that are the Christians who live here. The Holy Sepulchre is not made to be visited. It is made to get out, to go away. Because inside it's written, he is not here, he is risen. So what are you going to do where he is not? Get out and go to Galilee. First down to our Galilee where you are now and meet with the Christians who for 2,000 years were very bad philosophers and as bad theologians because they, were, they got themselves busy constantly in storytelling, 
in sharing one story that is just kind of breaking news, fascinating story about an empty tomb and a risen man from Galilee. It's very exciting. I don't know if you, if you feel the excitement in my blood. I told that story thousands of times. Every time I tell it, it's as if the first time. So that's what the importance of Christians here. I, will, I know what I will say in my five minutes. I will write much more than what I will say. So all that will be taken into consideration. What I say will be forgotten. I've always forgotten. But what I write will remain. I will just cry in the presence of the Catholic, International Catholic Church. Please be aware that if there is any Christian left in the Holy Land, it's not because of nationalism or because of land or because of power. Our homes have been destroyed, our land confiscated. The story of my village is very well known. The reason why I stay here is because we have a mission and a responsibility. A mission to speak out clearly without any ambivalence the story of our compatriot Jesus, the man from Galilee. He has been tortured, he died, and he is risen. If you, don't, if you are not moved with that, then you have no feeling. A man who was in the tomb for three days, he was risen, goodness. And he's still alive. And I feel him whenever I go under my fig tree in the garden or the olive tree, I feel him speaking to me. You know why? Because we have another conception of time. For you civilized people of America, you have divided and subdivided time to seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks. That's far too complicated for me. For us Palestinian Christians, we still believe that 1,000 years are like one day before the Lord. So what are 2,000 years? The day before yesterday, he was hanging around our boys and girls, with our elderly, with our shepherds. He was sharing our weddings and our funerals. He was extraordinary. Can you imagine this young rabbi from Nazareth going around the Sea of Galilee, having no idea about fishing about fish, and seeing a man called Peter, a professional fisherman, who had never had any contact with, the, with Jesus from Nazareth. And Jesus said to me, Peter, come on, abandon everything and follow me. Imagine you being Peter. Would you have followed? I say, I would not. I would say, who are you to tell me what to do when you know nothing in my profession? But the amazing thing is that Peter abandoned everything and followed. So did Philip, so did Nathaniel, so did all these crazy men from Galilee. What kind of authority did he practice? This is always taking us aghast, fascinating us, mesmerizing us. So it is these Christians from Galilee who have been telling and retelling time and again and again and again the story of their compatriot. And if you are here Catholics from America and Canada, 
I can whisper very modestly in my heart, oh goodness, your forefathers, Elias, have done a good job. It's because of them you are Christians. They went all over the world. They abandoned everything. As they abandoned their nets, they abandoned their country and went all over the world sharing this exciting news of a man who is risen and a tomb who is left empty. We've given you so much that nothing was left for us and now you don't know us. Many of my diocesans traveled through during August and July. They go to Lourdes. They go to Medjugorje, they go to Fatima. And they come and say to me, what do you like us to bring for you there, Father Bishop Shakur? I say always one thing. Tell that lady from Nazareth, it's time that she comes back home. Yeah. And this is what we feel, yeah. I mean, it is important that we revive the solidarity that is much needed with the local Christians. And please, for God's sake, when I say solidarity, <coughs> don't go to your treasurer or to your accountant. It's not a problem of money. We lived poor, but we're very happy. Don't make us wealthy and miserable. It's not the money that's most important. The money might be a later expression of solidarity. But there is much more to do before that. This is what I'm going to mention in my speech in the Synod. In other terms, the relations of Palestinian Christians towards the Muslim majority we live with here in Israel and towards the Jewish majority who is the power in Israel. What is our role towards them? What contribution we are expected to do? And we can never forget the witness. We are expected to give to hundreds of thousands of Christians who stream every year to the Holy Land to visit the shrines. And now more and more they are unsatisfied with the shrines. They want to see the living stones. And we want to make our church living to witness their faith in the presence of millions of people who come every year. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. This is Salt and Light Radio. We're listening to Archbishop Elias Shakur of the Melkite Church in Galilee. We asked him what he could teach us about ecumenical relations. Well, we are uh, too poor to pretend teaching you anything. But we have a story. We have a witness. We don't want to teach you anything. We want to witness in your presence what does faith in Christ do to a human being living in a big, big uh, complex of conflicts. I can speak about what I think we can contribute in Israel to our Muslims, to our Jewish brothers, to our visitors, tourists, and pilgrims. I think what we have to do, what we are trying to do, 
is to bring into the negotiations and the discussions the term of forgiving, forgiveness. Forgiveness is not in the lexicon of this country. Neither Jewish nor Muslim. There's no such thing. There's settling accounts, revenge, violence, killing the other, eliminating your enemy. When our, our ideal is to convert your enemy into your brother and your, to your friend and your friend into your brother. Forgiveness. Sharing is not a term that is understood or appreciated here. No one wants to share. Everyone wants to possess, to control, to control everything and to control his neighbor. And as the French say, the one who hugs too much will kiss nobody. And that's why we lose. We lose the peace because we never consider the justice. We lose the justice because we never consider the peace and we are still unable to mix them together so that we share not the land but we share our lives together Jews, Muslims and Christians and unfortunately very sadly when I see what the West has done to this country it's a kind of irreversible irreparable damage because they thought that with money and weapons they can solve problems. And it's only complicating the situation that they did. I'm aware of the fact that the Western world as big entity feels responsible for Jews were massacred. But with this feeling of responsibility, the Western world felt also the feeling of guilt. Guilt and responsibility pushed the world to want to repair the damage that was done. But I want you to be aware, it is impossible to repair the damage that was done to those who were killed, are killed, are no more. Only God can do anything if possible. So the inclination seems to be in the Western world that we need to repair the evil done. They say in German, wieder gut machen, to do good back again, to restore bad with good, but it's impossible. So what they did, we have to repair for a victim no matter if we create another victim. And thus the Palestinians became the Jews of the Jews. Christians became very often the victims inside the Palestinian society. Because two oppressed brothers who are not able to settle their accounts with the oppressor, they start oppressing each other. Like a husband and a wife. When they have lots of problems outside, the problems go inside and they begin lamenting their own situation. Yeah. Forgiveness, sharing, concession. Because you make concession when you have right, not when you are devoid of any right. You make concession relation 
or in order to achieve something with the one who requires concessions. And that makes us wanting reconciliation. This is the message of Christ. If I have to sum it up, our message, we Christians from Galilee here, is to remind everybody that none among us was born Palestinian, Jew, or Muslim. But we are all born babies with an identity card. We were created on the image of the lives of God. And if the message of Christ has any value, it is to bring us back to this original identity, children of God, who we Palestinian Christians, we Muslims, we Jews. This is not a simple message. That's why we need to stay here in that country. Sultan Light Radio is also heard at sultanlighttv.org slash radio. This is a special edition from the Holy Land featuring Archbishop Elias Shakur, author of the best-selling book, Blood Brothers. We have a lot to learn from Christians in the Middle East about ecumenism. We also asked him about the relationship between the Christian leaders and the Jewish and Muslim leaders in Israel and Palestine. Well, I'm very happy that you said other faith groups, not the other faith groups. You did not generalize, and that's already very good. We, I have very, very good, excellent relations with many rabbis. The chief rabbi of Haifa comes here as he's coming his home. The chief rabbi of Israel comes here to wish me happy Christmas, happy Easter. That is, that become a kind of normal relation together. And with the Muslims, goodness, every Christmas, the house is full with Muslims. They come together, 100, 200 dignitaries, just to wish us happy Christmas. With the Druze, there's something else. There's no Druze religious opportunity where I am not invited. Yeah. And the, the most uh, blunt example is, was last year, when one of their leaders, Jabrit Dahesh, died. He's a very well-known personality. In that case, his elder son or someone else had to inherit him immediately during the funeral. And that's through dressing him uh, departed. And who would dress that man with the coat of his father, of his leader? It's normally the dignitaries of the Druze people. And that day, in front of thousands of people, they called Bishop Shakur. You're the only one who is called to dress this man with the legacy of his father. I did it. Why not? I go to visit them very, very often. The trouble, I go myself with one or two priests. But they would never come to visit me, their chief uh, uh, sheikh or with one or two sheikhs. They come with 30, 40, 70 sheikhs. The house is full with Druze. Yeah. Last year at Easter they came and they stood all around and the chief said, how can we wish you a good, happy Easter? I said, be like all other people. Say, Christ is risen. <laughs> and they said, Christ is risen. I said, he's truly risen. Come on, sit down. Okay. 
So good the relations are, yeah. It doesn't mean we don't have problems. We had a serious problem in Nazareth. Orchestrated with the, with the hidden hands of a Jewish minister, but it was between the Muslims and the Christians. We have many problems with our Jewish friends. The cemetery of my family in my village is periodically being destroyed and we go and build it. They destroy, we build. They destroy, we build. Your TV would never come and see and say something. It's about Palestinians. They're not worth mentioning in a positive way. You have to mention us in a negative way. And here I appeal to you, Catholic media, please have the courage to say good for the good and bad for the bad. I could give you hundreds of examples of heroic actions that were done by the Christian community when a conflict was just bursting out between Jews and Muslims and how did we calm down the people. But it's not time maybe for that. Just an extension of that question then, do the, do the religious leadership then have influence on the people and the politicians to, for change or maybe that's not the way to approach it? If I say they don't have, I'll be lying to you. If I say they have, I would have a problem proving that. But I know that the Jewish religious parties are guided by the chief rabbis who give them the direction what to do, Malik Khaita. And they have a large, large influence on the Jewish religious parties. And now today, the majority of the coalition in the Knesset is a right-wing religious parties. Yeah. For us Christians, goodness, who are we? I speak, I speak day and night. I should stop speaking and try to do something first. Uh, I know that when I say something, it resounds in the Knesset with religious leaders. Uh, the bishop, the archbishop said this and that, but that's all, yeah. It doesn't go farther than that. Maybe because we don't have enough members in the community to impose ourselves during election. So you can say whatever you want. That's okay. But that's nothing else than okay. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann, and this is a special edition of Salt and Light Radio featuring Elias Shakur, Archbishop of Akko, Haifa, Nazareth, and Galilee for the Melkite Church. When we spoke, it was a week after a meeting brokered by the United States to work towards the peace process in Israel and Palestine. We asked Archbishop Shakur if he had any hope in the current peace process. Hope, hope for whom? For us or for you? Well, Obama is not the president of Palestine. And Clinton is not the president of Israel. I find the hope here in Israel between Jews and Palestinians. Not from the White House. The White House, you know, was not always as white inside as outside. And we always deplored some sides of your foreign policy in the United States. That was not only one-sided, but was uh, uh, 
taking part in the persecution and the war, instigating war, like the last war with Lebanon, Israel wanted to stop, but His Highness, President George W. Bush, no, go one week, one week more, one week more, the two last weeks, Israel lost the most among her soldiers and kind of confirmed her defeat. The same thing with the war to Gaza. I do not think that all the weapons of the United States can help Israel win the friendship of at least one Palestinian child. With your weapons, they can frighten, destroy, damage, whatever you want bad. It's when they don't use weapons, they can win the friendship of our children, and our children are our future. This is a special Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann. We're listening to a conversation with Melkite Archbishop Elias Shakur regarding his experiences as a Christian Palestinian in Israel. We were curious to know who were his role models and who is his inspiration. Well, I think two points. You need to read my first book, Blood Brothers, and you would see who inspired me, who pushed me, he pushed me so strongly, sometimes with utmost, sometimes violence, to adopt this way of Jesus Christ, whom I call my compatriot, my champion. He is my greatest inspirer. And then those others who inspired me are the Palestinian peasants, the Palestinian children, mainly those who live in the refugee camps, Amazingly enough, they hardly have shoes on their feet. They hardly have enough food to eat. But they never are without a smile of hope. They inspire me. And they are amazing people. And what inspires me more than all of that, the conviction that we Palestinians and Israeli Jews, we do not need to learn how to live together. We need rather to remember how we used to live together for centuries and centuries. And the past 62 years should be considered as a parenthesis, as a, concep a conception to confirm the rule. We need to rediscover this common life together. Then life would be very beautiful. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. We're speaking with Archbishop Elias Shakur about the Middle East peace process. Well, once I had here Sipi Livni, the chairman of the opposition party in the parliament. She sat right next to me here, but I was on the wall. I said, Sipi, are you happy with what happened in America? She said, that's great. A black man is the president. I said, do you think that one day Palestinian will be the president of Israel? That's another story. I had here Shimon Perez visiting. 
I stood up and addressed him in Hebrew, surely. And that's the most shocking reality they discover that we can speak Hebrew with them. I told him, We still did not lose hope. This is the first sentence of the national hymn of Israel. That soon a charismatic, courageous, intelligent Israeli leader would stand up and say, it can't be true that the inhabitants of the villages of Baram and Ikrit should be reduced to eternal refugees. They have to come back home. And he spontaneously answered me, Father Shakur, you left Baram 60 years ago. Isn't it time to forget when are you going to forget Baram? I said, Mr. Perez, you left Palestine 2,000 years ago, and you come back claiming your memory that this was your country. Tell me, when are you going to forget? He did not say anything. When he left here, he called me saying, Your Grace, I must confess, for the 25 per past years, I never cried. But when I left you, I cannot stop my tears from my eyes. I think you are adamantly right. It's not enough to be adamantly right. We need something else, something more, yeah. We are in a kind of confronting constant challenges vital life challenges yeah and we have learned to live in this uh, complicated situation yeah this is a special edition of salt and light radio from the holy land featuring archbishop elias shakur we met with him shortly before the recent synod of bishops on the middle east the synod is a gathering that concerns itself with pastoral issues but in the Middle East, it's hard to leave politics out. Well, surely the Synod is not a gathering of politicians, nor a gathering of negotiations to solve political problems. But I wonder, how can I speak about Christ without having an implication in political field? How can I speak to the rise of the poor without shocking the conscience of the, of, the, of, the, of the wealthy people? How can I speak about justice without mentioning there are injustices and there is exploitation? The problem is not to speak about justice, about politics for the synod. The problem is what image will the synod give about this gathering? Is it a search to improve human rights, human dignity, equality, to promote unity within the diversity of society? This is something much to politics. Otherwise, it would be like the Byzantines in the older times. They were fighting what kind are the angels, men or women? And how many angels can, can dance on the head of a, a needle while the Saracens were occupying Constantinople and they destroyed it? Yeah? 
we need to have our feet on the ground. If there is occupation, we need to call it occupation. If there is injustice, we need to call it injustice. But we are not the judges of the unjust. And we call for justice, that means for the powerful and for the powerless as well. We should, by all means, show respect and love for both the oppressor and the oppressed. And I think Christ did that so masterly that he deserved to be crucified for that. Today we don't want to be crucified. We don't want anybody to bother us. If we say something, they would cut the funds for the pontifical mission. So we don't say anything and we have the funds. Not to hell with all the funds. And be a pontifical mission. I'm sorry, I'm a self-defeating man. I got nothing from a pontifical mission. Uh, I got some uh, moral help when I receive a gift from the United States through them. They're very generous to give me the gift as it is. But otherwise, I don't have. I'm waiting to have some. <laughs> we need that. Our schools are in extremely bad shape because of the cuts the government is making. And here I, I, I call onto the Christians, mainly the Catholic Church, if they help here in the Holy Land. I'm not against helping the Holy Sites, helping custodians of holy, holy places. Do help the Latin Patriarchate. They have 11,000 Christians. But don't forget to help also the Greek Catholics who have only 80,000. This is Salt and Light Radio. We're featuring a conversation with Elias Shakur. He spoke to us about the Synod of Bishops on the Middle East. We asked him how satisfied he was with the draft of the document. Well, we had two documents. The working paper and then the, almost the other one was more completed. I'm happy to see that the second document was very much improved and uh, went more in depth with regards at least to our reality of uh, different religions, monotheistic religions. The second document instrument uh, the, that was distributed at Easter was more caring to deal with the, with the coexistence of three different religions and went even more than that they give a few lines even to those who do not belong to the monotheistic religions, who do not want to belong to religions. That freedom of expression includes that also, yeah. Uh, we have sent our remarks to Rome. And when I see we, it's we Christians in Galilee. For example, I have a monthly meeting with seven very staunch intellectual Christians who are very close to their churches, either Roman Catholic, Greek Catholic, Orthodox, or Anglicans. They come, we meet here, and they start brainstorming themselves. And the last, the last meeting last week, we decided that everybody will write a small paper, three or four pages, that he would deliver to me I will learn from what they did, mention some of these ideas, 
and all the rest give it to the Secretariat of the Synod. We expect a lot, but with much hesitation. Maybe this is the result of our socio-political situation. Uh, we have learned never to start dancing before the wedding has been performed. We used to dance before the wedding has performed, and at the end, one of the two parties did not appear, and it was a fiasco. So now we wait till the wedding is performed to start dancing. We have expectations, surely. I wrote to several rabbis, and wrote to several Muslim sheikhs and Druze. We're going to Rome for a special synod, the first in Christian history, that would determine, more or less, the attitude of Christians towards you. What do you expect us to be, or to do, or to change? Many rabbis answered extensively. Few Muslims did answer. There was only two. But these are very enlightening papers that they wrote about how do they see the Christians today and how do they expect the Christians to be. And the, the striking note was they describe what they see from the Christians today and they express their expectations of what Christ wants the Christians to be, which is very authentic here. Yeah. Hmm? We know that it's too, too ideal for us. We cannot be what he wants. We try our utmost. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. You're listening to a featured conversation with Melkite Archbishop Elias Shakur of Galilee on Salt and Light Radio. One of the major concerns of the church in the Middle East is that Christians are leaving, and those who stay live under constant threat. It's true, I'm very concerned for the Christian survival of this country. Christians are continuous streaming abroad, immigrating outside this country. We represent today 25% of Palestinian Christianity. The rest, 75%, we find them in the refugee camps, in exile or in self-exile. They do not want anymore to live under this ambiance of pressure, of deprivation, of being imprisoned, I went yesterday to Bethlehem. I had a hell of time to cross the wall. I did not have my ID with me. It was almost impossible. When the Christians want to come and visit Jerusalem for Easter or for any religious celebration, it is practically impossible. They live in a kind of huge prisons. And here in Galilee, more and more Christians are immigrating abroad. I am sorry for that, but not, I am not over worried for the survival of Christians. We will continue to live here, to be here. We'll be weakened by our own immigration. I don't think we'll disappear to make it easier. 
we have been always in a persecution situation. Many went away, but those who left are still here. What to do so that the Western world becomes aware of our presence? Well, the lobby in the United States who portrays Israel as a Jewish state is so powerful that you hardly hear that in this Jewish state there are even Palestinians, how much less Palestinian Christians. And I think we rely on you, on the Catholic press, to bring this awareness to our brothers and sisters abroad. How many hundreds of thousands of American Catholics come to visit this country annually? Many hundreds of thousands. If you can help us to convince them when they are here, it's good that they take two or three hours in their 10 days to be in touch with one or the other of the Christian communities. I don't need them to come to me. There are many others are better. Go to them. You don't need to know us. You need to know that we are there waiting for you to come and visit. Sometimes you don't need to knock on the door. You just come in. We will never start asking you, who are you? What do you want? We'll bring you the police. No, it's, it's not in our mind, in our mentality. The only thing we would, we would say when you see you coming in, you are welcome, ahlan wa sahlan. Then, as we are doing, we'll give you to drink and to eat. And mainly, when, maybe when you are about to go, we say, stop, please. Can I ask you a favor? And you start questioning, what's that? And the man or the woman will say, can I have your address to keep in touch with you? That's all we want. Do not come here with one billion dollars to distribute to the children. Don't make of our children uh, beggars. We don't need you to distribute cookies and M&Ms. That's not what we need. Help us to protect our own dignity. And you have dignity so that you don't relate to us through one dollar bill. I don't mean to give one hundred dollar bill, no. You can do that if you want, but that's not good. But I don't wish you to teach our children to become beggars. When I go to Ramallah, I cry on the borders when I see our children on the checkpoint, begging, forcing you to give them. And that's a very bad education we are giving. It's the result of deprivation. So at least when you come here, I, I don't say don't go and see the Jews. Go and see the Jews. They are a massive reality here. But give a few minutes to contact your Christian brothers. We need to know that you care for us. If you cannot relate to us, your Christian brothers, how can the Jews believe you? I was once walking in the Hebrew University with Professor Zvi Verblovsky, who was the Dean of the Faculty of Humanities. He turned to me, he said, you know, Father Shakur, 
if you love us Jews, we want to believe you. Your love is different from the love of Western Christian who says, I love you Jews. They love us because of the bad they had done to us. Because they feel guilt towards us. But we feel guilt towards you and you say we love you. We believe you more than anybody else, but we are not fair with you. That's what I wish you help us to achieve more and more. And that's all what we ask from you, from your Christians who come to visit. We are happy to welcome them. I love the fact that you began by giving us a little teaching about how sometimes we jump to conclusions. I'm and sorry. I'm wondering, I don't know if this is uh, unfair, but I'm wondering if you can also give us some insight as to why we might assume that this land is holy because Jesus walked here, because this is where Christianity began, but maybe there are other reasons that we need to be looking at why this land is considered holy. Absolutely. Surely this land is holy because Jesus left here, because the church started here. But this land is holy because of the whole gum of history of values that were delivered through here to humanity. How can we forget the Jewish prophets whom almost all of them were from here, except one? Do you know which one was not from the land of Israel? No. Elijah. He was from Jordan and he has chosen to go to Jordan to die. Abraham was not even a Jew, my dear friend. He said it. Uh, I, I accuse him, but I don't dare look at oh, him. Okay, that's okay. I've he has a, an important uh, responsibility. Yeah, he's just going to be the one. He was from Poro, the Chaldee. Well, Abraham in the Talmud is written, Ger Anuchi Hai Ben Am Goy. I am a foreigner, a Gentile, living among Gentile nations. Abraham in the Bible was never introduced as a head of a nation or a chief of a clan or a leader of a group. He is constantly introduced in the Jewish scripture as well as in the Talmud as a father of a large family. Hmm? And that's great. And that's why we claim to be children of Abraham. No. Children of Abraham, descendant of this Semitic non-Jew. Yeah. Oof, I can speak hours about this man. He's astonishing. Yeah. So he is also related to this land. He came and paid, paid the, the tithes to a pagan king, Melchizedek. Yeah. And all the history, the Jewish history gave us some teachings from this land. Muslims attached to this land also a fast passage of the Prophet on Temple Mount. The three large monotheistic religions relate almost physically to this country. It's full of values, loaded with teaching. It's not only because it is Christian, but also because of that. Yeah. And here, more than where, anywhere else, we Christians are called to 
make the unity of us human beings within the diversity that is among us all. If we achieve that, we are victorious. So far, we did not. We, re we, we rely much more on American weapons than on Christ's values or on Prophet uh, Isaiah's teaching, which are extremely powerful and speak for us today. Like the vine of Nebat. I suppose you know it. The story in the Bible. Or King Ahab and with Isabel. My goodness, it's most powerful. If you have time, I will tell you the story. It's breathtaking, you know. Or the first chapters of Isaiah, who says, I rear children, I give them everything. The donkey knows his Lord. The, uh, the cow knows her cradle. And Israel ignores his God. That applies to today to the church very largely, okay? If it happens that these are the kind of Jews who are your friends, fanatic Jews, Jews who support the settlements, the West Bank, who dream every night how to get rid of the physical existence of the Palestinians. Please, for God's sake, do not stop giving them friendship. Go on, give them friendship, give them support, all the support you want, all the money of the United States. I will be always more grateful the more you help them, the more you show them genuine friendship. Stand beside them. But please, do not conclude. To be the friend of those Jews, you have to be automatic enemy against the Palestinians. Who told you that this should imply that? But the same thing. If you read Blood Brothers, We Belong to the Land, Hope Beyond Despair, or other books like of Naim Atik, Justice and Only Justice, and you realize that the Palestinians have a cause, have a story to tell. You feel their suffering. You feel that they became the Jews of the Jews undeservedly. And you decided to take our side. Oh, please, bless your heart. Take our side, we Palestinians. We need you on our side. Be on our side. For once, you would be on the right side, right? But if taking our side, we Palestinians, would mean for you that you indulge on everything we do. You justify every evil and every good thing Palestinians do. And you stand with us one-sidedly against the Jews. We do not need your friendship. Here, I'm no more a beggar. I'm a self-defeating person. We do not such need such one-sided Friendship. You know why? Because we don't need more cruelty. In accepting to be one-sided on either side, what have you done? You reduce your generosity to become one more enemy 
in this cruel conflict. And we don't need any more enemies. We need a common friend. Can you come forth? If it's too difficult, we understand. Back up. Go in peace back home rather than to come forth to reduce us into pieces. I'm sure we shall overcome. But we need your balanced, good word, good mind, and relation. Thank you. That concludes this special edition of Salt and Light Radio from the Holy Land. We heard from Elias Shakur, Archbishop of Akko, Haifa, Nazareth, and Galilee of the Melkite Greek Catholic Church. He is recognized worldwide as a peacemaker and a force for building bridges between all the factions in Israel. He travels extensively around the world, inspiring Jews and Arabs with hope that there will someday be peace with justice in the Holy Land. If you'd like to comment on what you heard today on our program, please write to us, radio at saltandlighttv.org. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Salt and Light Radio.